Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. With me as always is Tom Nixon. Hey, Tom. Hey, Jay. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Yeah, we're recording here on a Friday, so looking forward to the weekend. And uh, we have a special guest uh, making a uh, a reappearance on the podcast. Needs little introduction for our audience, but um, Alex Sue, the head of community development at Ironclad, is joining us. Alex, great to have you with us. Great to be here, Jay and Tom. I'm, I can't believe you guys invited me back after last time. <laughs> well, you were putting time out for a number of months, but welcome back. <laughs> Excited to be here. Yeah, 20, 2023, the calendar ticked over. So you're 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 welcome back. No, <laughs> Alex, come on. We're trying to drive downloads and numbers here. We're, you know, everyone's trying to leverage the Alex Sue um massive platform. So we're we're shamelessly doing the same. So it's it's good. Well, to have I always you enjoy being here. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Sounds good. Um, so let let's get into it. Uh I thought I would kind of begin with um, you know, I've I've really been enjoying reading your Substack newsletter. I think that's been a um, kind of a new tool in your toolkit over the course of the last year or so, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I think it's great. I think everyone should subscribe to it. Uh, but I want to talk to you a little bit about one aspect of that, because you've been writing more long-form content about issues related to you know sales business development in the legal world um and also legal tech obviously what which is your domain now but but also giving some advice and sharing some ideas for lawyers about um you know building a practice that kind of thing um so i i thought we could just jump in as a starting point and maybe we can have a, a group discussion here about some of the kind of the key principles foundational principles that we think about are important as it relates to um, business development. Maybe maybe we'll use a you know mid-level to senior associate who's just kind of getting started with thinking in terms of building a practice um, as our you know as our guinea pig here to talk to. But um, I don't know. Maybe just give us some thoughts in terms of how do you think about it now? You know, sort of being well past the time where you were practicing law. Um, and I think both of us shared the experience of probably our time in big law was spent heads down, not thinking about business development, but knowing that, knowing what you know now, like how would you think about it differently? I think that you've got to put yourself out there. And I think the best way to explain why and how is to tell my story of how I ended up becoming well-known on social media. Like it was never part of the plan. Um, but it is what most people know me for, either my TikToks or my memes or the content that I, I put out. Um, all of that came because when I started out in sales, this is you know right after I left the practice of law, when I started out in sales, it was hard to get in front of potential clients and buyers. It, it's just hard because, as you know, lawyers don't like to buy things from cold calls or emails. They might be become aware of it, made aware of things, but they don't like to to make purchases based on cold calls. So there's got to be another way to get in front of them. And so I try to use social media to do that. And as you know, social media is inherently personal. It's not about XYZ Corporation or, or ABC firm pitching someone. It's about, you know, Jay Harrington, Tom Nixon, or Alex Sue coming in front of 
in front of someone to talk about themselves. So I think the first step is really, as you are starting to think about maybe focusing your energy on business development, you've got to put yourself out there. And I am biased. I think LinkedIn is the best place to do that, uh, especially because you can start filling out your profile and tailoring your own story in a way that resonates with with people you want to get in front of. So I, I would say um, putting yourself out there is the first step. And it sounds simple. Um, and it is in some ways, but it's not easy. Yeah, totally agree. And I think that is that is important because I, I see that all the time when I'm coaching lawyers or talking to them about you know, kind of taking that first step. It's it's almost like, you know, the old cliche of like that taking that first step is is the hardest one. And it's true. Um and and it's much easier to stay in an in, in a zone of like planning, strategy, um, observing, you know, kind of considering options, all of those things that are that can be forms of procrastination. Um where you know you at some point you need to t- kind of take that leap and and put yourself out there like you said like make yourself visible to an audience How, the other key aspect of that though is um yes i think linkedin is a great environment to do that that's that's one of the um that's one of the places where you can you can be visible at scale to many people how do you think also about um you know who you're trying to connect with or be visible to at that point right because it's you know it, the old, the old um, kind of approach of there's the generalist versus the specialist and understanding sort of your target audience, where they're hanging out, spending time and attention is, is important too, right? Absolutely. And that's why, you know, part of the recipe is put yourself out there. But part of it is also to understand who do you appeal most to? And I don't mean appeal like just from an image perspective, but if you're a partner at a firm, uh, who, uh, what, what type of client do you want to get in front of what type of client would be interested in retaining your services? For those of us, those of us in the technology uh, space, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about what we call ideal customer profiles or personas. We may have, say, you know, a specific demographic like a, a solo GC at a 500 employee company. That may be the person who um, I'm most interested in getting in front of. So when you put yourself out there, you want to put yourself out there where your what we call ICPs, your ideal customer, your target persona lives. Now, if you're going after corporate legal, that primarily is LinkedIn. Uh, But you can imagine GCs and chief legal officers, they spend time in lots of different places, including places like ACC conference, Mm -hmm. um, you know, tech GC in San Francisco for technology GCs. So so you want to go where where people are. And, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of ways to do this. And I've heard success stories with, for example, um, uh, people who are targeting the cryptocurrency industry. Um, for those folks, it may make more sense to go on Twitter where the entire crypto industry likes to live versus LinkedIn. So uh, the general principle is go where your people are or the people you want to get in front of are and and, and let yourself be known in that community. Uh, if we could build on that just for a second. So you're talking about where, um, which is I think one of the first things to, to ask and answer. But I know you're going to say for you, it was sort of, you didn't set out for it to be this way. And it was sort of, it just happened that way. But knowing what you know now, I'd be curious to see how your brain would re-engineer why that was successful using three maybe parameters. So you talked about LinkedIn being a great medium. So we'll start with the three M's, media, modality, 
in mood. I'll, I'm using that only because it has it starts with an M. But the media LinkedIn <laughs> <laughs> modality. Um, I know you for your TikTok videos. So now we're jumping off to another medium that you're bringing on to LinkedIn in your memes, right? And your mood is very funny and approachable. And I step back and I blur my eyes and I say, this guy's trying to get in front of the legal community. He's going on TikTok. He's being silly. And it's working like heck. So most people don't have the bravery to do what you did. And so how would you advise somebody uh of the profile that jay just referenced earlier somebody who knows they need to do something but isn't no doesn't know where to start you said just get out there but they're gonna maybe potentially suffer from this paralysis like what do i say how do i say it where do i say it so how would you advise that person well the first thing i would say is don't follow my lead if you're not in my situation i was working for a tech company i was a salesperson i was no longer a lawyer um and at first i thought I've got to carry myself like a lawyer, but I realized that to really differentiate and really get my my name out there, I had to do something that other lawyers were afraid to do. Hmm. That hence all of the humorous content, the TikToks, the memes that 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 would probably frighten most lawyers uh, from posting anything. So so I think the first thing is, is to not follow other people because other people, or, or not to follow the exact example of other people because they may have different goals than you and they may be in different situations than you. Um, what I do think is important to do is generally to put yourself out there, but that's in a way that's aligned to what you want to do. And one very simple way of doing that, first of all, if you don't have a built out LinkedIn profile, you should, uh, at the very least people can then come find you and look at, look at you and see your expertise. But at the second level, if you don't want to post content, because Posting content is, is risky. Um, sometimes things can turn against you or maybe you can come across as a bit cringy uh, or a little bit, um, you know, not funny, even though you're trying to be funny. So there's a lot of risk there. What I always recommend is that you start off by commenting on other people's posts. It's a lower barrier. Um, it's easy to do. And you'll get in front of an audience because when you start posting on your own profile at first, it's often like, you're like, oh, is anybody reading this? How come I only got one like and it's from my mom? Like, why, <laughs> why is this gonna is this gonna go anywhere? But if you go to an established creator's profile, um, you comment and you could test out your your themes that you want to talk about. Um, you could see how people react to it. You'll 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 uh, engage with a built-in community, and then later, as you feel comfortable, if you feel comfortable, you can start posting some of those same themes on your own profile, which is a lot more powerful, but just harder to do in the beginning. So. So that's what I would say. And, and again, you don't have to be funny with it. You don't have to do what I do. Um, you can see all sorts of different people on, especially LinkedIn. You can see that many lawyers post in ways that align with the, the message they want to send to the market. Uh, and it's tied to what they do. So, um, you know, Jonathan Pollard, for example, um, he can come across very aggressive in his content, uh, but he's a trial lawyer. He's, you know, it, it goes towards his brand. And, and you know, I, I, when I started out, I tried to copy him, but I realized that's not me. I shouldn't do that. Like, I really admire the way he, he puts himself out there, but I've got to do it in a different way. So, so don't, don't copy other people exactly. Yeah. And I, and I would point out that you also, I mean, your content today is far different than it was when you started putting yourself out there, which is, you alluded to that. I mean, you're, You've developed a skill set in this. Um, you've developed judgment, aesthetic. Um, you have 
leveraged, the feedback loop you've developed from your audience, all of that stuff comes. Those are sort of the compounding benefits of like just doing this as long as you've done it as thoughtfully as you've done it too, right, Alex? I mean, people people can't jump, you know, let me just, it's, it's, I think it's a good transition to, to talk about this real quick. Cause I think sometimes you see, you talked about like cringy memes that people put out and you see a ton of them. And I think it's kind of like, I was thinking about the um, analogy here, which would be, you know, you, you'll go and you'll go to a museum with someone and um, you know, they'll see like some sort of modern artwork and it just looks like to them, like a Jackson Pollock, it looks like it's just slapping paint on a canvas, but, you know, go ask someone else to try to recreate that. And it's, you know, it's impossible because he's a master. And I think there's something to that with memes too. People think, oh, it's just a, it's just a joke slapped onto an image. And all I got to do is put it out there because Alex gets thousands of likes on his memes and, and I can do the same. But, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about that as well. Like this is sure. an evolution. It's a skill set, right? It is. In the beginning, I posted only about what I knew, which was what it felt like to go from practicing law to be, becoming a tech salesperson. Um, that was an inherently personal story. Uh, I didn't do memes. I didn't talk about um, jokes. And I, that's all I talked about. Yeah. Over time, as I built a relationship with my audience, and especially as a salesperson, you talk to a lot of people. You, when you sell something, you talk to a lot of different people in your customer demographic. You start to hear themes about what struggles they have, what they get annoyed by, what they love, and you understand this, this persona. And, and once you understand them, you can start almost making jokes about them or around them that that resonate a lot. And, and it, to the outsider, you, people don't understand it, but to the insider, to, the, to, this, to this persona, they really do get it. And so um, when I started shifting my content first, I started to try to speak to in-house counsel because that's who I was selling software to. And I thought, um, maybe I could keep talking about my career transition, but I don't think that's super relevant to them. And I was curious because I had no idea what it was like to be an in-house lawyer because I'd never worked there. I'd only been a big law associate uh, and a small law associate, but never in-house. So I would have these sales calls and I would be on them and try to pitch them software. And I would say, what, tell me more about your day-to-day. -day. Like, what do you hate? What, what, is, what, is a, what is something you wish everyone knew, but you just people can't talk about it? And, and I started learning that there was a huge amount of tension between the legal department, the in-house counsel, and the sales department. And I was like, that's really interesting because as a salesperson, um, I never realized that. But I started thinking, how did I treat my legal, my, my in-house team? Probably not great. I can see it now. And so I started shifting my content towards that direction. And this is the key to, I think, all of social media success and community engagement is when you speak to what the community cares about, things take off on their own. You do eventually develop a taste and judgment for what they like. But in the beginning, if you speak about what they care about, a lot of problems will solve themselves for you. And it's kind of basic sales 101. You want to talk about the things your, your prospect and your buyer cares about, not the things you care about. So I think over time, that loop of like, you know, putting out content, listening, coming up with ideas, being analytical about it, uh, and then shifting content strategies to, to get to that, uh, that's been very helpful. And the last thing I'll add is, um, you always want to strike a balance between being analytical and being action-based because you can overthink things, never put anything out, or you can um, be too action-based and you always put stuff out that nobody cares about. So you want to strike a balance between the two. Yeah. 
Uh, I would like to, if you guys don't mind, move all over to a topic outside of social media because I've seen both of you more active in a newsletter format lately. Um, and you are on Substack now, which a lot of my clients are asking me about. Should we be on Substack? Um, so tell us a little bit about your Substack. It's off the record, correct? And tell us when you made this move, why you made it, and kind of what you've learned along the way. I, I started a year ago. Um... I'm, by the way, I try like 17 things every month. Um, <laughs> you only hear about the ones that do well. You don't hear about the 16 <laughs> things that don't. Substack was one that, you know, did well. Um, and that's partly because I had a, an audience that I could introduce the newsletter to. Um, the basic rule, I would say, you know, the guideline for everyone is stick to one thing first and do it really well, and then slowly start to add pieces to it. I did LinkedIn for four years exclusively trying to build an audience on LinkedIn. I did it for four, almost my fifth year uh, before I started a different channel. That first channel I diversified to was TikTok because it was one of the 17 things I tried that year mm -hmm. um, is in 2020. And then once that started working, I tried other things. I tried Instagram, I tried Twitter. Those are the two that work. But I also did um, lots of other things that didn't work out. Uh, towards the end of 2021, I thought, I kind of heard about Substack and I think I want to do this because I have a lot of ideas that don't lend themselves to short form quite so well. Like, you know, I have a lot of thoughts and ideas. I want to write about them. And I also like the idea that I could, I could control the relationship with the audience. Um, the challenge of social media is that while you get a lot of views and likes at any moment that could disappear, uh, you're beholden to this social media platform for for conversations with your audience and and that's that's fine and and you get an amazing amount of reach you get an amazing amount of views but i thought it would be cool to have a newsletter where i have an email list and i can have a pre-existing you know established line of communication with them so i started doing that uh about we'll call it 14 or 15 months ago again complete experiment just started writing just kind of wanted to see what would happen um and over time i've just added more and more subscribers uh, not all at once, not immediately, but the way it goes, just like with everything else, is that it's a long grind with no progress for a long time. Then suddenly it spikes and then a grind again and it spikes. So um, uh, it's, I'm, again, I'm about 14 or 15 months in. And what I found is that the quality and types of people who read the Substack uh, are, are much closer to the people I want to get in front of. Like social media gets me broad but the newsletter gets me in front of the, you know, the partners, the CEOs, the, the GCs who I want to get in front of. And, you know, last year when I went to a couple of conferences, people started referencing my Substack, and that's what clued me in that, that the people I'm trying to get in front of, it, it was working. Um, and I'm just going to keep experimenting and see how it goes. What about real quick from a, um, just a content standpoint, was there a strategy? I think you mentioned that you have these content pillars that you try to orient your content and ideas around. Yeah. So there's three pillars I orient my, my content around on, on off the record. Uh, the first is the unspoken rules of the legal profession. Uh, that's just something that I've always been interested in because, you know, my, I didn't know any lawyers before I got into it and I, I worked really hard and I thought I was doing all the right things and it didn't work out. So it's an intensely personal subject matter. Um, the second pillar is technology because I, I like to be at the cutting edge. I work for a legal technology company and I, I see a lot of things and I've been, starting to angel invest in, in smaller startups. So, so that's something I'm very much interested in. Uh, that's the second pillar. 
The third pillar is sales because again, I was a salesperson. I have all this, I have an interest in sales. I think it's a fascinating thing. I think it's persuasion in a different context, kind of like being a litigator, but instead of persuading a judge or a jury, you're persuading a buyer. Uh, I'm very interested in that kind of stuff. So those are the three pillars and they're very much things that I enjoy thinking about and, and writing about. And, and that's why like, you know, it's gotta be whatever you do, it's gotta be authentic to what you enjoy doing or else you won't be able to keep up the long slog of doing it month after month, year after year. Nice. Alex, I want to circle back to uh, what your people, uh, at least, uh, you know, I, I know many people are always kind of waiting for that notification that Alex posted on LinkedIn again to see what um, killer meme you came up with. So a uh, couple questions related to memes. One is, I don't know, do you, do you have a couple just, I don't know, rules of thumb or thoughts in terms of like how you go about things. I mean, if I'm looking from the outside in or is trying to reverse engineer what you do, I mean, sometimes you do a great job of like what I'll call newsjacking, like something happens in the legal industry, like, I don't know, SBF gets arrested or, um, you know, some law firm, you know, there's some controversy going on and, and you, you, you find, seem to find the perfect meme uh, to share for something like that. And then it's just, yeah, that observational stuff that, that you've mentioned, yeah. like sales and sales and in-house and, and legal in-house for, or the, the life of the big law lawyer, that kind of stuff. So t- talk to us a little bit about just your, your general, um, thoughts on, on creating memes. And then the second question would be, what are the issues that trigger the most lawyers who come, who like go in the comments or direct message you and accuse you of denigrating the, the legal profession? Because I know you get that from time to time, you must. And so uh, are there are there certain things that just really get people riled up? Yeah, I, I'm very excited about talking about the second category. <laughs> but because I have a very, 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 I, I, I thought of something very easy to say. The fur on the first part, um, I'm going to try to describe this. It's going to be a bit abstract um, because a lot of these things bounce in my head. But um, the way memes work is that you have an established almost like a plot structure. It's a story in in an image. It's a very simple one, but you can plug in text, right? Uh, And people, especially on Twitter, like to see news news related jokes. Mm -hmm. So if you always have the memes prepared this this plot structure prepared you can slot in details from the news into each piece and then kind of throw it out there and see if people react over time you develop a judgment and an understanding of the aesthetic of like oh is this funny or maybe this is not funny but by doing it over and over again you almost build up these like uh, this muscle memory or this like memory of images of, of oh this scenario that we made a successful meme on that would work here too so, so you, you're kind of like retelling the same story that's been successful, but in a different way, which if you kind of zoom out, that's kind of what movies are um, mm. and, and entertainment yeah. is. It's the same plot structures. Yeah. I think there's a book that says there's seven different plot structures and it never really changes, but um, it's, some of this is judgment-based and I'll tell you, I'll be the first person to tell you that sometimes you put out stuff, memes and jokes that don't land. And I'm very aggressive about deleting. So I will delete mm. quickly if I feel like it's not landing. And I've been wrong so many times. Um, but again, that's how I build my judgment to where, you know, I, it's a little bit better than when I started where I can guess what might land. Um, I don't know. Is that? Yeah, no, no. That's, that was- I, I didn't expect like the three-step formula. I know it's, <laughs> this is a very much a, a judgment developed over time, creativity. Yeah. yeah like 
risk, you know, risk, risk tolerance for, for failing. I mean, it's, it's very much, I mean, all, I think all content creation, especially on social media is like developing a 60 minute, like stand-up routine, right. Where you've got to go out and you've got to test material and you've got to get, you know, some stuff's going to fall flat and you got to go through the small towns of America to market yeah. test the stuff until you finally get like that tight 60 minutes that's on Netflix. Right. But Right. I, I don't know. I mean, it's all it's all kind of like that, I think. Should I, I, once be, read, I was go just going to ask, should we be expecting some Jay Harrington memes on the horizon? <laughs> no. <laughs> are you no, in the, no. are you in the dark clubs? In the small no, no. I admire. Right I'll tell you, I, I, I love a good meme. I mean, I, I appreciate the the work that goes into it, but I'm I'm steering clear of it. Although I did say I'm steering clear of Twitter and here I am like that, on Twitter. I was going to ask you about that as a segue. Yeah, yeah. And Alex, feel free to add what you just wanted to add. But what I want to get to is the Jay Harrington experience on Twitter, which is yeah. enjoyable, and then your own. So I know they're different going back yeah. to mediums. They're different. The modalities have to be different. So what do you yeah. guys, what have you both learned in terms well, no, of- No, no, no. We got to have Alex talk about his, his how he triggers lawyers with his memes. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> have at it. Tom, I want you to hold that because I'm going to, I'm excited to talk about that too. Yeah. Um, what triggers lawyers in terms of my audience will be different than everyone else's. Mm -hmm. But for mine, um, I'm very anti-establishment. Uh, and so big law has been a huge punching bag. And I should probably preface by this by saying, I was a lawyer. I was a big law associate. I understand nuance. I understand that there is a place in the market for big law and why things are done the way they're done. Mm -hmm. Having said that, it's not really fun to make jokes about taking nuanced positions. You want to, you kind of want to punch up and, and, yes. and hit and make fun of the ones who are most successful. And so uh, I have certainly acquired many views by making fun of firms like Cravath, Kirkland. Um, I feel like those topics tend to bring people together, possibly because, you know, there, we, all of us have kind of been on the outside and I, I find myself in a strange position because I've, I'm on the outside, but I was once on the inside. And so mm -hmm. um, making jokes about big law tends to to do well. This was not something I discovered by accident or um, that, I, that I thought of originally. It was something mm -hmm. that I found out kind of by accident because I would post different things and, and people would have a reaction and, and it, ca it came into my feedback loop. Mm -hmm. And it happens to work with what I do because, you know, I I'm in technology, which is inherently disruptive. Um, I also work with startups that are all trying to change the way things are done. So it fits into my narrative and I can make fun of a lot of different people, but big law happens to be one that uh, is successful. So you're punching up and is kind of on the other side of this innovation divide. Are there big law firms that are very much tech forward? There are. Uh, Wilson Sincini jumps out as an example. Uh, I love those, the folks there. Um, and I always try to give them a couple of shout outs when I can. Everyone else, I mean, it's all fair game and uh, yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun to make those jokes because I think they also like it too, because they get, I mean, the underlying premise is that, hey, you're successful. So that's why we're making fun of you. I'm not going to punch and, and make fun of, uh, of of firms that are not doing well. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and don't forget about Harvard grads too. You like that. Harvard Harvard's <laughs> another perfect example. Yeah. That's an awesome punching bag. But no, that's true. I mean, and and I, you know, it if if people either they're just like not on social media and they've come across you and they don't, they don't get the joke because it's the first time they've seen your content. Right. And so they might think who the hell is this guy like making fun of 
us us lawyers we do we do serious things um or it's just they have thin skin and and can't like can't yeah. can't take it um in either case you know just keep doing what you're doing but but you probably had to i mean how often do you get that sort of tightness in your in your gut about a post that you're going to put out like do you do you ever get to that point where you're like eh, i don't know if this one might cross the line or not but uh or are you have you inoculated against that at this point i'm not so worried about people who feel offended because i i tend mm-hmm. to think that i i don't cross that line yeah uh, there have been occasions where i've gotten dms where i thought hey this is a good point maybe i should delete this mm-hmm. um but that's very i've happened probably a handful of times in the last like two years um more more often than not though it's more about my partners. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, maybe Ironclad, who I work for, maybe they, they're not going to, I worry about how, how that will make them look. Yeah. Uh, or I work with certain startups, I have friends, uh, will that offend them? And that's what I worry about. It's like the people around me, not myself. Um, because you do need to develop a sort of callous to this, or like, you know, you need to not care as much or else you're never going to put anything out. Um, but that's one area that I'm trying to navigate. And believe it or not, I have become less controversial over time. I'm still waiting, wait, waiting to see if I should be more controversial. But um, if it seems, if my content seems a little bit cross, like a little bit edgy and crossing the line and controversial, um, it's because you're probably new to it. Some of the joke, a lot of the jokes I make, are commonly accepted by the community I've, I've cultivated. So um, yeah. they, they don't feel risky anymore. Right, and I, I mean, I think you know, I mean, Twitter is obviously a little bit more edgy. It always has been, um, yeah. but LinkedIn. Uh, it, it's moving towards you and your f- type of content, meaning like just, it's not stuffy. It's not, all, it's totally buttoned up. It's people are trying to inject humor. There's more visual content and stuff. So I, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it, that's, that's like any innovator, right? It's like people need to, people are like curious and don't know what the heck they're looking at for a little bit. And maybe they're, they'll, they'll poke fun at it itself. And then everyone will get on board and, and follow, follow along once uh, the innovator sort of, establishes the uh establishes yeah and to tom's point about the distinction between uh like the twitter experience and linkedin experience linkedin has always been the office Mm -hmm. twitter has always been like the bar and the jokes you make in both contexts are always going to be different i didn't get that at first and so when i first showed up on twitter i was making office jokes at the bar (laughs) and everyone was kind of looking at i felt like everyone was looking at me at twitter like that's very, that's, who is this guy? What's he doing? Um, over time, I've kind of realized that uh, I've hung out at on Twitter for a while and I've started to embrace the meta jokes, the, the types of humor. And I tried to bring it onto LinkedIn before a little bit too early. And I started, again, I, I brought the bar jokes to the office and I feel like it was a bit much uh, yeah. for people. And so I, over time, I've had to try to, I figured out kind of what to say to the different groups, even if it's the same person, like, you know, you, mm, right. you don't, when you're at happy hour, you had a couple of drinks, you say certain things to your friends. And then uh, when you're back at the office and like, it's your friend and, but other people who weren't there, uh, you got to kind of mod, mod, modulate yourself. So um, there is a difference and I can get into the depth, you know, I can talk more about it, but yeah, Jay, I don't know how your experience has been on, on Twitter since the same seems like you, you've kind of dove, dove uh, you dove right in. Uh, was it a year ago or? Yeah, probably. I think I, I I made a an initial attempt about a year ago, and then that faded off. And then I got I got more serious about it probably in August or so. Um, and and it was funny. I was you know uh, I came. I probably had four hundred 
followers or something like that at that point. Um, and I don't have, you know, I mean, I, th I think I'm at like 1400 now. The, the funny thing was, and I talked about this, I think to Tom in, in a prior episode was um, at some point, like uh, in the last month or two months, um, you know, Jonah Perlin, uh, do you know? Yeah. You know, Jonah. Yeah. Um, he, he just out of the blue posted. Um, he's like, come on, come on, Twitter. Like, Jay Harrington's been stuck at something like, you know, 995 followers forever. He's like, this is, he's, he's posting good content. This is ridiculous. Like get him over a thousand. So that was, <laughs> that was what got me over a thousand, but, but no, it's been good. I mean, I felt like it's, it's been a, um, it's been humbling in the sense that, you know, I feel like I've kind of got a sense of what's going to work on LinkedIn and what's going to not, what's not going to work. Right. And that's been over the course of like, two and a half, you know, to three years of, of learning experience, feedback loop, all the things we've been talking about. Um, and I just, you know, it, it, I just had to suck it up and realize Twitter's different. You know, fundamentally there's aspects of it that are different. You have to, you have to approach it differently. Um, you know, you've got to, you know, you're gonna, you can't just go post something and never go back on the platform again. You've got to learn, you've got to interact with other people. So you know, yeah, definitely over the last several months, um, I think I've I've gotten better at it. Luckily, I had a lot of LinkedIn content that lended itself pretty pretty well to um, some threads that were, I think, you know, work worked well on Twitter. Um, a few of them, you know, went quote unquote viral, at least for me. You know, getting five hundred plus, you know, um, likes and and a lot of retweets and that kind of thing. So that helped me grow my audience a little bit. Kept me in the game. Um, <laughs> kept me kept me posting away. And, and yeah, I, I really enjoy it now. I also love Twitter from like a idea generation standpoint too. There's a lot of really great creators on there, lots of interesting content. Um, so I've used it for that purpose as well. Same here. Your, your experience mirrors mine. And I think in the beginning, I part of the reason why, what emboldened me to experiment on Twitter is that I had no followers. And I was like, I could post things and no one would see it. So I could see... I remember at the very beginning, I was like, okay, if I get five likes, that's good. If you get zero likes, that's bad. Anything <laughs> in between is okay. And so yep. that was the kind of scale I had. And then eventually it became big enough that I couldn't do that. And so for those who have very small followings, I would see that as a blessing. Like you could experiment publicly. Whereas now I I, I feel this pressure to, to deliver every time because I have a, a larger audience. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I I feel that like on, on more on LinkedIn too, right? Where um, my audience isn't isn't nearly as big as yours, but yeah, you feel like oh, if, like almost like people are going to be watching if you if you you know put a dud out there and somehow that I don't know it's stupid, but somehow that it is um, yeah it is makes so, you yeah it makes you less than or something. But on Twitter, I, I, I don't care. You know exactly I, yeah yeah I don't care at all. Um, that being said, I was convinced that I think just from things I'd heard that. Um, I was going to be made fun of on Twitter, for, you know, because I was going to be putting content out there that, like, is again office content. To your point about LinkedIn, like, here's here are the three steps you should take to build your legal practice, and people are going to be like, "Shut up, you know, <laughs> go back to LinkedIn." Well, you said that hasn't. Luckily, that hasn't been the case. Yeah, you successfully brought the office jokes to the to the bar just like i bring my dad jokes to my daughter's uh social gatherings and she loves it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, she does real quick so since we're feeding both of your guys's fix i want to go to an area that uh i might be considered junkie and that is podcasting 
So yeah. I, I noticed I've not yet listened to it because I just discovered that you have a private podcast, Alex. So I wanted to hear the the thought behind that, how that's going. Um, and I don't know if anything that you're doing on some stack you're charging for yet. Is it a revenue stream for you? No, I'm not charging for anything. And what you might be referring to is I experimented with their podcast um, functionality. Mm. Uh, I actually took some content where I was being interviewed on a Bloomberg Law podcast and pulled out a clip and put it on my private podcast just to see how the distribution would would go. Um, I have deliberately chosen not to invest in doing a podcast because I don't believe I can invest it. I think it's hard. And, and I don't need to tell you both this, but it's it's hard to, to do it well. And for me, if I can't do it well, um, I'm going to try to stay away just because I, I like I, I want to respect my audience to not blast them with with all sorts of content. For you all, you know, you've, you've invested a lot into this. It's clear from just like working with you in the past few years that it's it's important to you. Um, and it is to all creators who have consistently put out podcasts. And I learned this because I did once experiment with a company podcast that I hosted. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is so much work. Um, <laughs> and maybe I could have gotten someone to edit it. But editing was only one small piece of the puzzle. There was so much that goes into it. And so uh, the lazy me was like, you know, I'll just go to, to Jay and Tom's podcast and you know <laughs> do very little work and just have them do all of it and just kind of go on there and just talk about myself for 45 minutes. Uh, that's been my approach. Well, it's interesting, too, is that um, going back to something we said earlier on, and, and I don't know, maybe this is a good wrapping point, but it goes back to the three M's, right? The method out or the modality, the medium in the mood is some things lend themselves to a half hour, 45 minute conversation. And people want to consume that content when they're on the treadmill or they're out walking their dog or whatever it is. Absolutely. Um, it, like what we're talking about now would not fit into an eight second loop on, you know, TikTok or something. Right. So yeah. you got to make sure that you're matching all of those things and they all map back to what the preferences of the consumer who you're ultimately looking to influence. I think. I agree. And I think that podcasts are uniquely powerful because it's long form, but it can be done while you're doing something else. That's probably what what's driven its growth. Um, and I'll add one more thing, which is that in 2022, uh, I prioritized getting out into the real world uh, to see the impact of what we experience digitally, podcasts, social media, everything. Um, podcasts really cut through and get to people. I don't know how many people I met in, in person this year where I said, hey, I, I listened to your podcast um, and I would quote it. And I realized they would have otherwise no idea that I had listened. Mm -hmm, and true. so it because it's ungated, you know, you don't have to submit your email address before listening to it. It, it, it has the ability to travel. And I saw that with TikTok because again, in person, when I met people and, I, and they said, oh, I saw your, your, your TikToks, they're funny. I say, I always say to them, where did you see them? And half the time they say, somebody texted it to me. Somebody shared it to me. Mm. It wasn't that they jumped on my page. It was just shareable. And I think TikTok rode that wave for a while, the, the, the inherent shareability, the lack of gating podcasts have that um linkedin interestingly does generally does not because you do need a login to see stuff on there True. Uh, but it's it's good in other ways but this this ungated this is um i call it ungating but just unrestricted freedom to listen uh lets it travel and the only thing I would add to that, I think that's exactly right, because my daughter sends me TikToks all the time. I'm not going to be on TikTok. I'm a 52-year-old right, yeah. dude, right? But <laughs> I, I love seeing the content. I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. So I love that about TikTok. But the other thing about podcasting that we've experienced is when people come to JRI and they say, I've been listening to your podcast. I feel like I know you. 
and it's a, it's a really richly immersive environment because you get to see the side of a personality. Even if you're not watching us, you get a sense for kind of who we are, what makes us tick, yeah. et cetera. And you can't always get that in other media. So a uh, little old school, Jay, but I still believe that there's a lot of value in that, right? And beyond totally. just the clicks and the likes and the vanity metrics. For sure. Yeah. I mean, any any form of content like that, I mean, it, it, there is an intimacy to podcasting and I mean, more broadly, for anyone who creates a lot of content and is doing so in furtherance of like building some sort of service-based offering, whatever it might be, like in my case, like coaching, um, you you people get to know you, they get to trust you. The sales conversation, which typically is coming inbound, then just becomes about like fit and price. And you don't have to sell yourself. You don't have to pitch for the work. It's just, you That's know- right. Because they know you, they they know exactly what they're going to get from you. Um, and I'm sure, Alex, it's probably a little different in the software world, um, but same principle applies. You've developed that level of trust that allows you to get past, you know, those early stages of differentiation that you need to for sales. I I, I actually think it's a lot more similar than than we might think mm-hmm. or it might used to be. Um, if you think of a, and this takes it back to the sales. Uh, theme or we discussed earlier, if you think about how people used to buy and how people buy now, it's changed. It used to be that people waited and relied on salespeople to get in front of you to teach you about what was in the market. Over time, it's become more research. And, and maybe that's because of Google. Maybe it's because of the internet. But people do more research before they buy. Uh, that is a reality. And a lot of times, organizations um, haven't figured out how to take advantage of that. And I think what you all have discovered what I've discovered is that by creating content, you're selling at scale um, with the power of media, of like just having content sit out there while we live our lives and we don't have to go out and travel and pitch someone. It's sitting out there for buyers to consume at their pace when they're ready. And then finally, when they're ready, they raise their hands and say, uh, Jay, I'd like, to, I'd like to retain you. Um, that is not something that has historically been the case but it definitely has been the case in the last 10 years, certainly in the last five years in software. Uh, I got to imagine it's same in, in, in law practice too. Yeah, I would imagine so. I, I, I can't imagine it's not. But yeah, it's like it, you're, you're, you're putting yourself and your ideas out there and it's, it's working on your behalf to meet the unpredictable legal demand that's arising you know, over time. Because Tom and I talk about this a lot. You, you don't want to chase demand. You want to be in a position where you've already built trust and you're visible and top of mind for people when they recognize that they have demand that needs to be satisfied. So I think that's that's yeah. what content does on your behalf. Um, Alex, just one more question for you, and then and then one one comment before that, which is um, you're you're invited to come back on the podcast whenever you want. So if you want to become a regular contributor, please please come back on a, on a regular cadence, and maybe our audience could even. Um, spur that along by, you know, share this episode, tag Alex, um, let him know you want to hear more of him on the thought leadership project. Okay. Um, so that's one. And then Love it. last question before we wrap up, cause I want to be sensitive to your time. Like what content are you into these days? Like what are you reading anything, listening to any podcasts, like any books, shows, anything like that, that's sort of inspiring you or interesting to you right now? Um, I'm deeply, uh, curious about persuasion. Mm. Um, I'm also curious about how ideas propagate. 
so you all know, like I, I spent a lot of time making the jokes and uh, making a lot of memes, but uh, I do have ideas that I think are important to share. And I've only used that one channel to share them, which is humor. Um, I'm wondering, you know, and this is why I'm experimenting with Substack. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to write more. I want to share more. I have everything I've done uh, over the last, you know, we'll call it 10 years uh, has been furthering trying to share my ideas with the world. It just so happened that the one thing that really struck a chord was humor. And so while I still love doing that, I'm trying to expand my horizons beyond it. Uh, there's a wonderful book called Snow Leopards uh, mm -hmm. that was recommended to me about how to set yourself apart. And I see you nodding, Jay. So you may have, yeah. you're may, you may be familiar with that book, but yes. uh, I'm very much curious about how best to package ideas and, and share them out. That's been my Substack journey and, and I'll just keep doing it um, and, and kind of experimenting and seeing what sticks. Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Um, before uh, we let you go, though, just we've mentioned your Substack a few different times, but why don't you just point people in the right direction so they can subscribe to that? And then any other channels or links that you want to share, um, mention them, and, and we can also add them to the show notes. Thanks so much, Jay. So uh, on social media, anywhere, just look up Alex Sue. Um, for my Substack, uh, you can go to Alex offtherecord.com. That'll take you to my, my newsletter and you can read everything I've written without subscribing and then subscribe to get uh, the latest in your inbox. Uh, Alexoffthorecord.com. Awesome. Tom, any last thoughts? Um, no, just I'm, I'm regretting that you don't have a podcast because I put it on my to-do list for the weekend. And now, <laughs> I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll go listen to one of our old podcasts. Last time we had you on. There we go. There Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Thank you both well, so much. Thanks, for Alex. Me. All right. That's the episode. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next episode. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.